Welcome to GeoThoughts Talks. I'm Drew Bush. In GeoThoughts Talks, we bring you lectures from our team, partners, and collaborators on topics important to the GeoThink audience. GeoThink Summer Institute may have just concluded, but for those of you who missed it, we bring you four talks to remember. In our sixth talk, Pamela Robinson dispels the notion that open data derives value from economic benefits by instead discussing how such data can be used to fundamentally shift the relationship between civil society and institutions. She elaborates on this idea by noting that not all open data sets are created equal. Right now, she argues, the mixed ways in which open data is released can dramatically impact whether or not it's useful to civic groups hoping to work with such data. to kind of lots of the discussion that comes out of local government where they're being asked to make a business case for opening up data. I'll be really blunt. I, I'm not that interested in making money from open data. It's important, but it's not my thing. Uh, as an urban planner, my primary preoccupation is about citizens' relationships with their government. And I'm interested in the proposition that open data as an input into open government can fundamentally shift the relationship between civil society and institutions. So um, I, I'm being dismissive about the economic piece, just because, quite frankly, I don't care about that. I think the market looks after itself quite nicely. Thank you very much. Uh, and as a planner, my preoccupation has always been with externalities and the things that the market can't price. And so uh, I'm going to focus on how do we add civic value to open data. And what I want to do is I'm going to frame some challenges and some risks um, and some opportunities with open data, and then talk about what's the civic responsive piece. And so, um, one of the interesting challenges about open data, you had this. This is my dog's breakfast, quite literally. This is dog food in a bowl that my dog eats every day. Open data is a dog's breakfast. You probably found that yesterday. You probably found things that were really great to work with, and data that you desired but couldn't find, or data that you wanted that was in a format that was so impossible to use in the moment or you know under any reasonable amount of time you wouldn't be able to work with this. And so um, the fact that all open data sets as of right now aren't created equal poses a challenge when we think about adding civic value to open data because the work that civil society groups are doing with open data is often happening in a volunteer capacity. These aren't developers being paid to work with this. These are ordinary people, like the people you're going to meet tonight at the Civic Tech Hack Night. People from um, often the tech community who want to use their tech power for public or civic good. So if you have to do this every Tuesday night or you know on Sunday morning before your kids get out of bed or you're sneaking it in at work when no one's looking, if the data is not very usable, it's hard for you to add value to it in the public sector. Um, public sector or the civil society sector because you don't have the time to fix it. And so we have this tension right now. It's going to get better, uh, but right now this mixed bag of tricks undermines the civic capacity of open data. Next one. Do you guys recognize some scarecrow from Wizard of Oz? Which way do we go? This way. We've got an interesting challenge in open data release. Um, and we've got um, this mandate to release the data through open by default, which I'll pick up on in a minute. But we've got the challenge of historic data and data moving forward. I'll offer to you that the prospects for civic value from open data are much brighter with data sets that are coming down the road than they are with the data sets that already exist that aren't already open. And governments, quite frankly, have a real challenge dealing with open data right now because there's this tremendous demand coming in a bunch of different ways. Um, and it's easier for them to 
tool up and get ready to release new data in a way that's usable and readable and accessible with good licensing agreements than it is to go back and retroactively archive and unlandfill data that already exists. And so we really have two propositions here. Historic data sets and the ones that are coming. The ones that are coming will be much easier for civil society groups to work with. The historic ones really depend. It depends on the structure of the data. It, just, it depends on what format the data is in. It depends on whether or not you get a civil servant who has the time to help you. But there is this tension between old and new. And sometimes we actually need the historic trends for the civic value to be unlocked. If we want to look at change over time, we can't wait 10 years, for example, to do the civic work we want if we want to make action, for example, in affordable housing. It would be good to have old data and new data. So that tension um, is a real problem right now for civic data, but it is what it is, and we're going to have to do the best we can with it. Next one. There's this real risk or pitfall in the open data community on behalf of, of government officials to turn their open data efforts towards expert use. Okay, you could really be quite preoccupied and consumed with the demand of the development community sector um, because they're the ones who are asking. They want you to hurry up. Um, Map My Property is a really interesting app in Toronto. Uh, Devin used the one behind it, and Devin is doing this work for profit. He's pushing hard on the City of Toronto the Planning Department to release more data better and faster in a usable format. His work is really important. Devin's an incredibly powerful advocate, and he's getting things done, but he's doing it because he wants to build something that he's going to make money off of. Okay? So if you're a municipal government staff person, say you're like middle, you're like the middle person who answers the phone in the open data unit, you're going to answer the phone for the person who's pushing the hardest. Okay? But you got to remember that the private sector use of open data is only one piece of the big open data potential. And so you have to watch out that you're not only serving just the for-profit mandate of open data, but that you're thinking, okay, am I listening to or responding to people on the civic side who are asking for this work? Because otherwise what we do is we end up having government serving um, entrepreneurial aspirations, which are good, but then we're losing out on making time for the other parts of open data employment that have Tremendous public value and public good, but not necessarily economic gain. Okay, next challenge. There's this big gap between what's supplied and what's used. Okay, and here's where we really need to start thinking creatively about, about the transition from data that's sitting there to data that's actually in use and in play. And if you haven't read Renee and Peter's paper, what's the paper called that has data over the fence, over the wall? Say that again loud. Yeah, Peter already wrote this great paper. Is it in Government Information Quarterly? Yes, yeah, if you, Civic Open Data at the Crossroads. Yeah, if you haven't read that paper, you should, and you should reference it because it's good. Uh, but it really frames this tension between the zombie data, the data that's sort of alive but half dead, just sitting there, and data that's actually being used. And one of the ways in which we get beyond just supplying the data to getting data in place start thinking about what are the opportunities to engage with people directly around the use of open data. The Civic Tech Hack Night tonight is one of those examples. Uh, I'm going to skip up and then come back, actually. Hang on one second. Oh, great. I'm not going to write that, actually. Now I've got my slides. Okay. How do I go back? In Word. <laughs> All right. All right. That's what I wanted. Okay. Organizations like these ones, Civic Tech to... <laughs> I just swore. Okay, let me do this. I'm going to go here. And I want to do this. 
Organizations like these ones, Civic Tech Toronto, um, the Open Data Book Club in the city of Ottawa, Code for America in the United States, Civic Hall based in New York, um, and Smart Chicago, are examples of organizations that are working directly with frontline organizations and civil society groups to try to get open data off the page or out of the machine readable format and into an environment in which public good is actually happening. Can any of you think of an app that you've used that you think serves the public good? Yeah? Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Tell everyone what that is because not everyone's from here, right? Rocket so. Man is the TTC transit app that lets you know based on open data how, uh, where the streetcars are, where the buses are, So they threw it up there, they put, I think, a thousand dollar prize on the most innovative app, uh, and it sort of revolutionized our lives. They got free labor for mostly free labor. We get a really great app. The, the company that developed they got credit, I mean, it was just really moving all the way around. How many of you have a transit app on your phone? It's probably one of the most commonly used apps that connects local government work. Um, to the work of ordinary people in their pocket. Other apps that you think serve the public good that you can pick up. Yeah, Peter. See, I use Google Maps for my transit directions. Yes, so Peter, if you want to talk about, yes, let's not, okay, hold up. You should talk to Peter sometime about what, about if he thinks that transit organizations should just use Google or not. I don't think they should, but it works really well. Yeah, <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter also has a Blackberry. <laughs> That's nothing to do with mobility. Citizen budget. Okay, tell us, Renee, what that is. No, Peck's going to tell us what it is. Peck. Um, a web-based um, budget simulation app. The, um, the city client puts up a essentially a web form that gives a bunch of buttons, uh, sliders that allow citizens to choose level of taxation and the amount of public expenditure and to balance a simulated budget that they eventually submit to the city to incorporate into their budget planning for the next year. That's Open North's tool, is that right? And Open North is a partner in Open So what we see is there's a lot of transit and mobility apps. Increasingly, there's participatory budgeting apps like citizen budget apps. But beyond that, we don't yet have a robust suite of apps that make a difference on the civil society side. One of the exciting ones that I encountered when we were in Chicago at the American Association of Geographers Conference a year and a half ago was one called Expungio. Expungio. Uh, and that's intended to help youth um, with a criminal record expunge their criminal record. And so what they did um, through the Smart Chicago Collaborative and through their civic tech half night is the folks at DataMade, which is a, a private sector firm with their volunteer hats on, created an app to streamline the expungement uh, process that you could get rid of your criminal record, which is you know, increasingly a really big deal. And in a city like Chicago, um, where you've got tremendous gaps between rich and poor and racial inequity, um, that app's making quite a big difference in terms of the lives of, of all kinds of young people. Okay, let me go back to where I left off. 
So in terms of the zombie stuff that I was talking about a few minutes ago, we see lots of apps. If you went and looked at your phone and looked at the range of apps you use, I think what you'd see is that there are lots of apps that help you buy things or do things better, but not so many that serve the local democratic purposes that, that open data is supposed to be able to contribute to in a thoughtful way. So the civic potential, I would argue, hasn't been truly unlocked all the way. Okay, we talked about open by default. The feds have an open by default directive, the province has one. I'm going to offer that civically, open by default is not a very inspiring goal. Okay, and I, I said this out loud last week with the head of the, federal, the head of the Treasury Board Secretariat's Open Data Movement and the province's lead in a room full of people, and they both shrunk in their seats. Open by default is really important because it's the minimum standard, but we need to do better than that if we want civic potential unlocked. If you've got municipal staff or provincial staff or federal staff who only open up the data because they have to, they're going to engage with that data in a very different way than if they actually think they should open it up because open matters and because open can be transformative and open can enrich democracy. So what we need to do is stop saying yay open by default and saying okay good start, let's go, let's do better. Okay, so for the civic value of open data to be really unlocked, we need staff who are imagining that open data is only the very beginning of open government and that we need the data open so that they can do their jobs better and we can work better with them. So there's an interesting tension in there. Okay, so open data, um, if you've, has, has anyone worked with open data on the government side? Does anyone have any experience actually releasing it? Yeah, so what's interesting, in the research that Peter and I have done, we've done research on civic hackathons, for some people, opening up the data is scary. Okay, hence the ghost. And for some of them, it's chaotic because they can't control the context in which the data has been created, developed, or released. Um, and this is a quote from, a, from one of our interviewees. Now I'm starting to get into it, open data. And now it's like, well, let's see what we can put out there. But that's not easy to do when you've had 20 years behind you of hoarding data. Okay, so there's this culture shift inside government. Okay, you've got, these are really good, like the person who said this, do you remember? Yeah, I was, when, when our interviewee said that, I was so happy because it's such an important quote about the culture of open government right now. We're asking people to shift the culture in which they work. They used to hang on to data, keep it tight, and it was proprietary, now they're being asked to open it up. So it's scary and hard for them. And so we need, if we want the civic potential of open data to be actually realized, we need to recognize this is the mindset of some people in the government, but also that it's going to take time for this shift to occur. And so when we can start to demonstrate the civic value of the data, the scariness and the chaotic nature will get easier to mediate in part because they'll start to have some success stories beyond the economic ones. Okay, so what is data, open data? I would argue that it's the canary in the coal mine for open government. The culture um, of government that releases the open data speaks to the culture of open government in general. And if we want to understand the civic potential of open data, or of open government and of open data, we need to look at the, the context in which the data is released. So Peter's evaluation of Peter's work around um, trying to understand how they're measuring the outcome of their open data work says a lot about what they're thinking. If they're measuring economic outputs, they're seeing open data as a tool for economic development. If they're measuring civic output, it shows that they see it in a broader context. And open government isn't just about transparency, meaning are crooks stealing money or is there, or is there a great trade? Open government, in its best sense, I think, 
is about reimagining the relationship between citizens and their governments. So open data and the way in which it's released is very telling. So I'm going to skip this slide. I'm going to give a little example from a project that James and I are working on right now. Um, and it's an interesting example of citizen opportunities that come with open data. So there's a civic piece. And you can ask James about this in great detail. But James, um, I was on James's PhD committee. And we took this walk around Harvard Village, which is right next door to UT, like two years ago, right, James? James had his safety vest on because he was a forestry guy. I was there. We had clipboards. And we were walking. And we were talking about. Um, about urban street tree health, which was in the urban forest health, because that was the focus of James's work. James is a, a science kind of guy who makes amazing maps and runs stats, and you know, he was preoccupied with the quality of the health of the urban forest. And while we were walking around, we started having this conversation about, you know, we use my planner hat on, is it possible that building permit um, issuing in the form of housing renovations is terrible for urban street trees? Right? Does, it, does building permits and what we would call, we framed it as gentrification, does the reinvestment in urban housing stock pose a threat to the urban forest? And so we were laughing at that. It was kind of an obnoxious question. And we parked it, and James finished his PhD. And then we revisited that question about six months ago. And we were only able to revisit that question because of three sets of data. First, the community tree inventory that James developed for his, his research. So his academic research was the substantive foundation of this work. But then we were able to work with some citizen science and volunteer geographic information that came from a community group. Harvard Village Residents Association, James is the third name. Yep. They're a community-based organization right beside UT that had already done its own tree inventory. So we took James's really rich academic data, matched it up with the DGI and the citizen science data from a community group, and then we took the City of Toronto open data catalog and queried it for building permit data. And James was able to take those things and put them together and start to find, actually, that urban, um, urban renovations aren't very good for the urban force, and so that there's this tension there. And so this is a really interesting example, I think, of the civic potential of open data. We were able to do something cool with the open data that worked with the academic data and the citizen science data together. And so we're really just on the very, very early days of understanding how these kinds of data sets all work together. So there's civic value in open data because it allows us to start asking questions about public policy decisions that we wouldn't necessarily ask or we don't need the city's permission to do work. OK, so what's the future in terms of citizen opportunities um, in creating civic value in open data? I think the future. The potential's there, but we're in this funny time right now. I would say that we'll, we should listen this afternoon for what our, our panelists have to say about, about open data and where it's at. But it feels like we've come through the first wave of, wow, open data, open by default, here we go. We're now in this weird holding pattern and plateau, I think. Until the feds and the provinces release their inventories of data, which are coming in 2016, they've committed publicly to not releasing all of their data, but at least inventorying it and releasing it, I think that that release, the inventory release, is going to trigger a whole new flurry of civic interest in open data. It's also going to have a huge entrepreneurial piece to it. But I think we're going to see civic potential come, because what's going to happen is that people who meet and play around with data at open data book clubs and at civic tech hack nights are going to be able to see the landscape of what data exists. Because we right now, we can't see it all. You can see what's in the catalogs, but Peter, what's the province have? Like 500 data sets in the catalog? Yeah. 
Yeah, the inventory, I mean, the scale, it's going to be like David and Goliath and stuff, right? So, so the catalog's small, the inventory will be big, and that, that querying of, okay, if this is what's out there, what do we want, will be um, a first opportunity to really start to understand how the full breadth of what could be potentially open data can serve civic goals. So the future, I think, on the data side is, is really interesting and exciting. I think the question is, what's the capacity of civil society groups to work with these data sets? Do we have data literacy? Do we have tech capacity? Do we have um, the ability to actually lobby for the data that we want and want to be able to use? These questions, I think, are, are there and lingering, but we're in very early days of being able to understand. OK, I'm going to stop there. Let's move to minutes. Thank you. GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca and generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council.